I'm reading from the book of Numbers chapter 10. And I'll walk through a little bit with you. And this is verse 13, Numbers chapter 10 and verse 13. I'll wait for a moment so you can find that. And the scripture says, They first took their journey according to the commandment of the Lord by the hand of Moses. It's a commencement. They started their journey. Now, the next 15 verses are going to describe the process of who led the people individually or the leaders which led the tribes. A long list of names that helped them travel in their journey. Now go to verse 33 of that same chapter. They departed from the Mount of the Lord three days' journey. Ark of the Covenant of the Lord went before them in those days. They were finding a place to stop or to rest. Verse 34, and the cloud, everyone say the cloud. The cloud of the Lord was upon them by day when they went out of the camp. It means that it went before them, leading them. It came to pass when the ark set forward or when it moved out, Moses said, Rise up, Lord, and let thine enemies be scattered and let them that hate thee flee before thee. And when it rested, he said, Return, O Lord, unto the many thousands of Israel. And then the next verse of the next chapter, this is the next line, I just want to read this small entry. And when the people complained. Amen. I thought by now. Everybody said amen. God bless you may be seated. And when you get there, would you just rejoice in the Lord because he's in this place. A few pastors in our state and actually some surrounding areas um, have explained to me some of their challenges in their ministry function. Uh, Tammy and I have seen this firsthand in some of our travels uh, each of those ministers that spoke to me about a particular challenge, they encounter a constraint in acquiring a permanent church building. Some of them started their churches and some of them have begun other daughter works. And many of them are leading congregations with new believers, new converts that offer very little support. 
And in this narrative, they've all described their challenges of renting places, a school gym, an auditorium, some small conference center, and a hotel. Um, they, they unload a sound system from the back of a truck or a trailer, and there's chairs that temporarily set up a platform maybe in order to have a worship service. Each of them have given a similar report that at the start, everyone is is willing to help. They're excited about it, but it doesn't take long until the volunteer crew begins to fade. Indeed, it's weary to tear down and set up every week. It's work to wrap up cords and fold up tables and move bulletin boards in and out of a makeshift classrooms every week. They, they do it because that's what they must do. But given the opportunity, oh my, to have a permanent place of worship, well, there is no question. Now, there are a few folks who denounce church buildings. I know of a few who would, however, would give anything to have a permanent classroom and a pulpit they didn't have to pack away and wires they didn't have to roll up. Trailers they could park permanently and not have to take out all the stuff every Wednesday and Sunday. But those ideologues which denounce and decry church buildings have nothing in common with the many who rent out VFW halls and hotel centers and classrooms. It's easy to bemoan owning the space until you become the renter. The men and women and their families want to have a place of worship and they do it week after week, but it is exhausting. It is very exhausting. And the scripture offers an insight far more taxing. I'll assume that most of us cannot imagine a thing, so I'll read it. This is a chapter before our text in Numbers 9, verse 15. On the day the tabernacle, the tent of testimony was set up, the cloud covered it. From evening till morning, the cloud above the tabernacle looked like fire. That is how it continued to be. The cloud covered it, and at night it looked like fire. Whenever the cloud lifted from above the tent, the Israelites set out. Wherever the cloud settled, the Israelites encamped. And the Lord's command, at the Lord's command, the Israelites set out, and at his command they encamped. As long as the cloud stayed over the tabernacle, they remained in the camp. When the cloud remained over the tabernacle a long time, the Israelites obeyed the Lord's order and did not set out. That's nice. Sometimes the cloud was over the tabernacle only a few days. At the Lord's command, they would encamp. And then all his command, at his command, they would set out. Sometimes the cloud stayed only from evening till morning. That's one day. In the Bible, a day is evening and morning. And when it lifted in the morning, they set out, whether by day or by night. Whenever the cloud lifted, they, they left. Whether the cloud stayed over the tabernacle for two days or a month or a year, the Israelites would remain in the camp and not set out. But when it lifted, they would set out. <laughs> we are really describing this over and over again. At the Lord's command, they encamped. And at the Lord's command, they set out. They obeyed the Lord's order 
in accordance with his command through Moses. Hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people, a couple of million in fact, walked out of Egypt. They were led by Moses and by the cloud. They had manna from heaven and the order of the spoken word. Most of all, they had the tabernacle and the ark of the covenant. They were guided, led, brought, kept, fed, governed, directed. It was the intention of the Lord to lead them and to give them a promised land, the land of Canaan, the land that flowed with milk and honey. But moving that many people is not an easy thing to do. No sooner had Moses built and crafted all the items of the tabernacle, the cloud moved, it shifted. The cloud was the presence. It was a supernatural appearance and they knew it. By day and by night, they followed it. They had the cloud and I suppose they had the rock also. Moses struck that rock twice. Paul wrote of it in 1 Corinthians 10 and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And did all eat the same spiritual meat. And did all drink the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. It's maybe imagery. Maybe literal. So perhaps the cloud led them and the rock followed them. The cloud and the sea. The imagery has been burned into the historical record of the Bible. The water and the spirit. The water and the spirit. When Jesus met with Nicodemus, Nicodemus wanted to know how he could be saved. And Jesus said, it's got to come by the water and the spirit. When Peter preached the saving message, he said, you have to be baptized of the water and you'll be baptized of the Holy Ghost. It's always the water and the spirit. It's always been the water and the spirit. They moved when the cloud moved. And each time without warning or foreknowledge, they moved when it moved. And they stopped when it stopped. They packed and they unpacked their own tents and their own utensils. They built fires and they put the most common household things in their place. They drove large pegs into the ground, sometimes laboring with hardened tundra like stone. They set up shelters and attended to their families. And then in a moment, without any idea of what might come next, the cloud moved and they were pulling it up again. Some of them were commissioned to stand guard against the enemy. Others stood watch against the beast of the field. Everyone had a duty to perform. Some were called to take down and set up the entirety of the tabernacle of Moses. And not just set it up, but do it with precision and careful attention to how it was positioned against the eastern sky. They had to put everything in its exact place just as it was the first time it was created. And then they had to pack it up in the same manner. When the cloud stopped, they unwrapped the golden vessels and all the articles of the tabernacle. Clothes were washed. Linens for the priesthood had to be carefully maintained. The ephod itself had to be carefully handed so as not to damage or lose any of the precious breastplate stones. Then came the sheep. The sheep meant for the sacrifice. They were transported very cautiously. They too had to be kept clean, their hooves wrapped in swaddling clothes. It was an arduous task. It was painstaking. And when they finally got settled, after all that work, they then just watched for the cloud. When they finished the setup, regardless of how much work they had done or had to do and how much they wished for some relaxing days and a little time off, they knew that their movement was subject to the cloud. 
their lives took on the direction of something beyond their understanding. And the Bible will note their desire. The month-long stay was, it wasn't so bad. The one year, the, the two months was better, but, but here it is in Numbers 9.20. Sometimes the cloud was over the tabernacle only a few days. Worse yet, verse 21, sometimes the cloud stayed only from evening till morning. When it lifted in the morning, they just left, whether by day or night. Think of it. Whenever the cloud was gone, they had to go. The cloud never considered their desire and never took into account their labor or the intensity of their work. The cloud never measured their struggle to set up or to tear down. In fact, there is no record of consideration of what they went through to follow it. The cloud simply moved at the desire of the omniscient God and it stayed in its place at the same. There was no rhyme or reason. There was no calculations for a predictable time frame of resting or moving. A week, yes, a few days, even one day, they never knew. No one could predict if this time was for a few weeks or a few, for a few months or a single night. And speaking of such, it did move in the night, in the pitch black of night, and they moved because they were nothing without the cloud. They had nothing without the cloud. They could have had all the tabernacle, but without the cloud, it was just furniture. They could have had that golden glowing Ark of the Covenant, but without the cloud. It was just an artifact. They were nothing without the cloud. Sunday morning worship in, in, in almost every city and town is predictable. Denominations of every sort are accustomed to roughly the same time. But Numbers chapter 9 is a long way from our routine. I cannot imagine how many people would be lost if they had to watch for the movement of an unpredictable cloud. I wonder how many would be angry or at least frustrated or put out. If they never knew, couldn't set their watches, their calendars, or their clocks. See, we tend to work God into our schedule. Most even pencil him in. But waiting and watching? Uh Uh-oh. We want to know where he's going to be. We need that understanding to predict him. We tend to work him into whatever we're doing. Moses led them by the provision of the all-powerful God. No understanding needed. Just follow. Even still, moving hundreds of thousands of people is not an easy thing to do. Because not all of them move at the same pace. And there they are. The more of them, the slower they become. So if they walked a couple of days... Those in the back might barely get past the residue left by those in the front. And three days is much the same. The Hebrew scholar wrote that after just a handful of days, they could actually turn around and see where they just came from. Some smoldering ash left behind, a fire off in the distance, the remnants of their prior days of living. The Bible gives us distance in days. A Sabbath day's journey was about 2,000 cubits. Exodus 16, 29, Numbers 3 and 5. It was the equivalent of about three quarters of a mile. 
That mileage was attributed to the distance of just a few people walking or traveling. But to a mass of people in the light of a congregation of Israel, all of those people, traveling was limited, meaning it was far less than three quarters of a mile. So it is no wonder that a mere three days might invoke such complaint. From the mount, then the resting, houses set up, the tabernacle erected once again, and then finally they sit down to rest and suddenly the cloud is moving. And once again, they scramble to put it all back into boxes and compartments under carts with safekeeping, not including their own homes and tents. Verse 34, Moses stands up to say, rise up, O Lord, signifying we're about to move. And then just two verses later, he says, return, O Lord, which means we're all stopping. And then comes the very next verse, the people complained, frustrated. They traveled almost no distance at all. A few steps of burdensome work, the weighty responsibilities of fathers and mothers and shepherds, of watchers and guards, and most of all the Levites and the order of the priesthood. It all looked so glamorous at their appointment until they had to do the hard labor. They complained. It was so much at times for so little. The line is a minimal entry into the book of Numbers, but it reaches all the way into my life and into the disposition of every person who is striving, say striving, striving for the kingdom. Just as a note, ladies and gentlemen, not everyone is striving. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 9, And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, Paul said, not as uncertainly. So I, so fight I, not as what, I'm not just beating the air, but I keep my body, bring it to subjection, lest by any means after I preached all these sermons, I myself might become a castaway. I know it sounds a little edgy here on Sunday morning. Not all pulpits, however, will travel down this road of conviction. And while I'm not attempting to be abrasive for the sake of some shock value, I'm also unwilling to conceal the truth for the sake of membership of our church. So let me just say this. Not everyone who calls him Lord in this house is going to be saved in the end. I hope so. But not everyone who walks into the church, this church or another church, is really seeking the mastery of temperance. Not everyone is running the race and not everyone cares to keep their minds, their bodies, their spirits and desires in check. They come to see. They come to check the box of going to church. They live in whatever fashion they want to live. They ignore instruction. They reject correction and they are offended by rebuke. And though all three are in the Bible and they are directives of the Bible, those folks hold their opinions and self-image above God's infallible word. Not everybody is striving. When you start striving for the mastery, it will press you into a mold called meekness. It will limit your thought of individualism. It will burn in your heart and rearrange your desires. Until finally, when you get to the scripture, that if you seek the Lord with all your heart, he'll give you the desires of your heart. No, he's not going to give you something evil. But if you seek the kingdom of God first, it changes what you think and want. I've watched many young men catch the fire of this and begin to strive. And those young men, they change from silliness to soberness. 
They changed from weakness to power in the Holy Ghost. They took on the look of wanting more and doing more. And you could just feel it all around them. I've watched a few young ladies, young girls in my time do the same. It came in waves of earnest devotion. And they said, I don't care what anyone else is doing. I'm going to strive for the kingdom. I'm striving. I'm going to master this thing. There's something about the spirit of a person who's striving for the mastery. They feel different. They walk different. They act different. Their conversations change. Those who strive find a balance in life that brings strength all its own because they want to do something for God in the kingdom. Paul said it, I run, but I don't run aimlessly. I fight, but I'm not just someone shadow boxing. This is a real race and it's a real fight and I'm striving for the kingdom. And I just want to pause and just say, I hope you're striving for the kingdom. Don't play the church game today. Don't play the attendance game today. This is not a religious experience. This is a relationship with the most high God. I hope you can feel what I'm feeling because I'm praying for people that were striving and hungry. I'm not, I'm not looking to just to be a part-time Christian and I am certainly not a weekend warrior. I'm always abounding. You've got to always abound, always pursuing, always pressing forward to find Jesus. You're always seeking God. On the tip of your tongue, it should always be, I'm trying to get closer to God. I'm trying to get deeper in the word. I'm trying to get more dedicated to the Lord. Banish the thought that you're just trying to get by. Pause in that language that you're just trying to do enough just to be okay. Chances are you'll never be okay. And having said all of that, just know this. The kingdom's going to consume you. And the gospel is going to change your language. And dedication and commitment will come easy for you because you know that at the end there's an incorruptible crown that you're chasing down. Your emotions got to be this. Are you ready? Here's your whole emotion. The zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. It's all in. It's all encompassing. It's not part time. It's not lukewarm. Mm. I'm, I'm reaching down into someone's spirit right now. I'm lighting a fire in your heart in Jesus' name. I just want to tell you, the longer you ride the fence, the greater the chance you'll never get on the right side of it. It's time. It's time for you to rise up and say, listen, this is going to make my whole life. This is my whole, this is all I love. This is my whole desire. This is my everything about me. In fact, this ought to define you. My definition is not of the world. It's of the Lord. So get up and run. Come on, get up and run. Get up and fight. When you're fighting, you're, you are warring against powers and principalities and run the race and don't give up running the race. feel like preaching in this house a little bit lay aside every weight and sin that so easily besets you and run the race let me just pick on a, a couple of lines and if you if you've said this i'm not i'm not i just want to rearrange that 
Don't say, I go out there to the church. I go out there. No, no. What? No. Don't make it like a destination. The boat, the lake, holiday world is a destination. You can get all the soft drinks you want. It'll make you sick right before you get on the roller coaster. I've done that. Got in there early, didn't know it was a time change. We were the first one in the place, brought, brought Roman, I think, and a bunch of his buddies. And we got there way too early. We waited, we walked in with the first Roman said, look, dad, all the Mountain Dew and Pepsi and all the stuff you can drink. I don't know why. Got in there, drank it. This is great. Free. It's free. Just free. It wasn't free. Now let's go on the roller coasters. They said the wooden roller coasters are more violent than the metal ones. I don't know if that's right or not. They flex, whatever. I said, let's go on the, this is the death trap one or something like this. This is called take your life in your own hands. Certain to die. Get on that. Oh my God. I'm just going to tell you, if you don't know this, I'm just, just warn all of you. Carbonation and the loop. It's a bad mixture. I know I've done that. I rue the day. I'm asking them, charge me, please charge me $3.50 for a Coke, and I know I can survive the day. But if it's free, we're in trouble. If the hot dogs are free, you're just going to eat things you don't even, you never would have eaten even, even eaten that, but because it's free. If it's free, you can mix all the drinks just to try and see what it's like. You know. That's my destination. <laughs> the lake, that, the river, the, the sightseeing, that's a def- destination. We have destination weddings, you know. That's where you spend about five times more than you want to spend. And nobody can actually come to the wedding. But you've got in your mind that this is going to be romantic and you find out that you forgot all the stuff at home. Mm -hmm. You paid a lot of money and you got a few pictures and in about three or four years nobody cares and you keep telling them we had a destination wedding. That, That won't even give you a cup of coffee. It probably won't even give you a free soft drink at Holiday World. That's all those destinations. But when it comes to this house, this is not your destination. This is your place of worship. You don't just go out there. You live here. Your heart's here. It's a place where you pour out your praise and your worship. And I was walking along the altar just praying and worshiping. And I turned to someone because we bumped into each other. And I just looked over and I said, hopefully, hopefully... We'll never have enough room at the altar. (laughs) I don't care if it's a mile long. Hopefully there's never going to be enough room because we all want to get there and we all want to pray. So we just press forward and we move forward and And we're on the way and 
we're working our way and then all of a sudden there is this reality in this path they call the way. Because the journey will confound you. Because our progress is unpredictable. I've seen it. I'm in it. I look at it every day of my life. I'm striving for the mastery. And even though this is the desire of my heart, I thought by now I'd be further along than I am. I'm striving, yes, but sometimes I'm not moving very fast. In fact, it's often a slow almost indiscernible movement. Stack up the year, yearning and the prayer and the fasting and the sacrifice. And in my mind, it, it, it should have moved me forward a, a lot further. But if I turn around, I can still see the smoldering ashes where I camped last. I thought by now I had conquered all those things. All those days of scriptures and reading and memorizing. All that pain and cutting words which... I climbed over in the criticisms, which I often brought on myself. I had to wade through the mire of my own making. I thought by now, when I finally got past a few conflicts, that I would be free from the struggle and not remember all of that. But at the end of it all, I find myself still pressing for the mark for the prize, a long distance away. I thought by now... God would move me, advance me. But he does it at his own will. He does not move the same way every time or in every service or in every life. He moves and then he pauses. He'll move you ahead. But maybe not as far as someone next to you. It's quick and then it's slow. It's advancements and it's utterances and then it's silence. And in my own flesh, this lack of progress conflicts me. But in the Holy Spirit, I know that Jesus is still leading me according to his compassion, not according to my expectation. He knows what lessons we need to learn and how many times we need to go over those lessons again and again. He knows what subjects we have yet to conquer. So he'll put us through it all over again. Because his interest for you and for me is eternal. Ours is often temporal. He loves me more than anyone has ever loved me. He moves me sometimes a great distance in understanding. But he never lets me settle in that very long. Because we are meant to follow until he pauses. And we follow when he moves. You see, following means more than just a moving of the spirit. Following is more than just coming after. It it means changing. He wants me to change. To follow him means to change me. God's direction produces and rearranges our heart. It's, It's Jeremiah's sermon about the potter's wheel. It's Job's message about being tried by fire and then coming forth as gold. It's David's prayer of having a Genesis moment to create a new heart, the core of his heart. Following is not just merely walking, it's a readjustment of our thoughts. He moves and we have to take down all of our favorite stuff. We have to change. 
Sometimes following the Lord means you have to get rid of things in your life. Things you thought were okay. Things you thought were, 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 not, were not bad. And, and, and things you were holding on to. And you justified those things. But following means sometimes you have to pack them in and never open them up again. It means alterations. We are modified. We are adjusted. We are recast and we are reworked so that we can be a holy people. And how many times will this happen? How many times? The answer is pretty simple. Until we gain the incorruptible crown. You always change until you gain the incorruptible crown. This is a lifetime of striving for the mastery. So when we read the first line of Numbers chapter 11, we have to be careful not to condemn those people who set up and packed up and walked without knowing and stopped without notice. They complained, and, and that's called a, a human response. It's not right, it's not godly, but it is a human response, and we can learn from them. They are our examples of what not to do. Because God did not ask them for their opinion, he just wanted them to follow him. God did not take the pulse of the people, and there were no focus groups on how this felt. He just got up, and he moved. And the, and the choice of the people was to heed his voice, and yearn for his face, and trust in his heart. And when you get to that impasse where you think you should have been farther along, then be careful not to fall into the pit of self-condemnation. Because the devil, hear this now, the devil and other people cannot discourage you like you can discourage yourself. There is no condemnation like self-condemnation. Nobody can put you in the pit like you can put yourself. And you'll look at your mistakes and say, man, I thought I was better than that. I thought I had conquered that. I thought I had gotten rid of that thing. And you're going to have to go through that all over again. But I feel led to tell somebody today, keep striving, keep, keep walking, keep following. Keep walking, keep following, keep striving. I'm not giving you a pass. I'm just going to tell you the reality of it is you are going to fall down. You are going to err. You are not perfect. No matter, and if you think you're perfect, there's your first imperfection. <laughs> I've watched parents think their children are perfect and they were shocked to find out otherwise. Took a little while. You're going to, you're going to make a mistake. You're going to err in your ways because you don't have a glorified body. And you don't have, you don't have the perfect mind. And you're going to say things and think things and do things you're going to regret. But I got a word for you so that you don't get wallowed in that self-condemnation and think you're not doing very good. All you have to do is get back up and you're doing good. Because the Bible says in Proverbs 24 and 16, for a just man, a just man falleth down seven times. Here's the catch right here, but he gets back up again. I'm not giving you a free pass to do wrong. I'm just telling you, don't get discouraged when you're not going very far and you're stuck in a little mire and you keep running over this stuff and you think, man, I wish I could do better. Just keep following and keep pursuing. I thought by now I'd be over it, but I'm not. So I'll just keep following the hymn. Come on, who's striving in this house? We got to have a church that is striving for the kingdom. 
You got to strive for the mastery. Yay! Here's what you say. It wasn't a great day, but tomorrow's going to be a better day. I didn't do everything I wanted to do, but tomorrow I'm going to get on my knees and I'm going to start a little bit different than I did today. I'm not waiting for next month or whatever. I'm going to start over right now. If you made, if you made the error, you're going to say, I'm going to start over. Watch for the cloud, everybody. And the cloud's going to move you. And don't get discouraged that the cloud just moves you a couple feet. Just keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on the supernatural Shekinah glory of the Most High God. And just say out of your mouth, I'm not where I want to be, but I'm not where I used to be. Yay! When they ask you, how you're doing? Put a couple new words in your vocabulary. I'm striving. For the mastery. How you doing? I'm following the cloud. How is it going in your life? It's going great. I made a bunch of mistakes yesterday, but today is a brand new day. I got back up. When the accuser asks you how far you've come, you just tell him, well, I didn't go very far today, but at least I got back up on my feet and I said, I'm going to do right today. You ought to sponge some things out of your language and say, no, the devil's not going to defeat me. I haven't been right all the time and I know I thought I should be farther ahead, but I'm still following the cloud and I'm still striving for the mastery. Yes. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh. There is nothing going to tear up the forces of demonic spirits and the devil and the world like a people that set them their face towards Jesus. His, his, his great ammunition is to put doubt in your mind, self-doubt. You can't make it. You're not going to make it. Put defeatism in your spirit. But when the whole church rises up and say, the reason why we're here is because the blood covered us and the blood helped us and, and it was the cross of Calvary and, and, and we, we went down in Jesus name in the water, came up speaking in other tongues and as the spirit gave the utterance and, and we found that he's the Lord and the savior and there's only one Lord and I don't got it all together and I don't know everything, but I know that he, Jesus, and I know that I'm covered by the blood. I like this little part of the scripture where, where, where Philip gets to the Ethiopian eunuch and he, he asks the question, understandest thou what thou readest? And the answer was pretty obvious. No. How long you been reading it? I've just been reading it and reading it and I keep reading it. I I ain't getting all of it. And Philip said, well, let's just, let me just help you with that a little bit. If you don't understand it all, don't stop reading. If you don't understand the path of God, don't stop following. If you don't understand what God's doing in your life, don't quit now. He'll give you enlightenment. You just keep on reading and keep on walking and keep on following and keep on striving. Thank you. 
Paul, the apostle, is going to face it in a unique way. He called his issue a thorn. And no, ladies and gentlemen, Paul was never married. <laughs> That's a little offensive. I'm sorry. Yeah. It just wouldn't go away. And he prayed about it. And he sought relief from the Lord with whom he had an intimate relationship with. He even said he was taught by the Lord himself in a wilderness time. Paul said, I, I, I prayed three times for this thorn to be removed from me. It bothers me, Lord. That thorn, like all thorns, inhibits our expansion. Can't really stand up straight sometimes. Can't lift up your head very well. You see, with increased influence, God often allows unresolved thorns. With expanded understanding, God often allows a temperance. Paul said, I prayed, I thought I sought God. Not just one time, I went back the second time. And surely the thorn can be removed on the second prayer, but from the scripture it appears that the thorn, whatever it might have been, was not going to be removed. It could have been removed. God did not allow it to be removed. Paul didn't pray three times because he thought it was impossible. He prayed three times because he knew it was possible. But after the third time of prayer, this powerful, insightful Apostle, soul winner, who did not get his prayer answered, God said, my grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. And then Paul wrote, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmity. So that the power of Christ can rest upon me. So to all those who follow, the Lord is here to lead us. And you might in your own heart say, like I have many times. I thought by now. And the Lord has a word for you. His grace is sufficient for you. Some things he's never going to remove that. You want to cry, but don't get angry and don't complain. Don't get frustrated. The thing that torments often is the thing that keeps you. And if you were free from all those troubles, you might lose your walk with God. Makes no sense to my mind. But I know I just got to keep on striving. Tomorrow might be a great day of progress. But tomorrow might just be a single day and then a pause. And then I might have to pick up the next day. Every day this week I might have to pack and unpack. And and rearrange again and again and again. And I write lists all the time about what I need to do. I might need to tear up that list the next day, write a new list. And no, I got to readjust that. It might be every day for a long time. And then there may be a period of time where I feel like this is good. We're doing good. 
But I cannot get discouraged or frustrated because i got to keep my eyes on the prize. I'm running, I'm running a race. Come on, you're running a race. You're reaching for a crown. Let me just tell you, there's always going to be a reason for you to pause and stop and get out. There, I want you to hear this again. There's always a reason for you to quit. But the reason's never good. Even it, even as, as, as good as you think the reason is, it's never good. It's shallow. And at the end of it all, it's a waste. So I say today, I know we all thought maybe we'd be farther along and our lives would be a little bit better. But our eyes are on Jesus Christ. And I got to stop thinking about where I wanted to be or what I expected of myself. And I got to know he's in charge and he's leading me. You might have thought you might have had some enlightenment, understanding, but you don't have it yet. You might have thought I should be settled by now and you're not settled yet. But the Lord is going to help you. You just got to keep your eyes on the cloud. Clouds leading us. The spirit is guiding us. The Holy Ghost is with us. I just want to tell you, the Holy Ghost is with you. And if you feel depressed and you feel low and you feel down and you feel anxiety, don't get overwhelmed. The Holy Ghost is with you. The Lord is still guiding you. I thought by now I wouldn't go through this, but you're going through it, but you're going to get out of it. I thought by now I wouldn't fall and make those mistakes. Just get back up again. You're not where you are, but you're not where you were. You're not where you're going. You wanted to be, but you're not where you were. Mm, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I'm praying against all self-condemnation. I'm praying against defeatism. I'm praying against the doubt that the devil would put in your mind. Hear the pastor today. You are an apostolic Holy Ghost filled man of God. You are an apostolic Holy Ghost lady of the Lord. You are joining with Christ. You have power and authority in the spirit. Ah, just reach out to God now. Come on, say it, Lord. I'm going to strive. I'm going to press, Lord. I'm going to work, Lord. I'm going to pray, Lord. Even if I don't hear anything, I'm going to pray, Lord. I want to close with this thought. There are a few people in the Bible that when they sought God, they were accustomed to an instantaneous answer from the Lord. I'm not one of those people. Some of those spoke with God and he answered quickly. Abraham and Moses and Daniel come to mind. The Bible says that Daniel prayed a prayer. And there was no answer from the Lord. That's disconcerting. When you pray, you always had your prayers answered. And Daniel prayed, but it wasn't just one prayer. It was three solid weeks of praying and there was no answer. And when finally the archangel Michael came, he said this. This is the revelation you got to get in your mind. He said, the Lord heard you the first day. 
But what you don't know is there was a battle in heaven and a demonic spirit called the Prince of Persia was warring and I couldn't bring the answer to you. But Michael came to my rescue and there was a battle and a war over what God wanted to tell you. the, The enemy didn't want you to hear it, but you kept on praying even though you didn't have the answer. I thought by now I'd get all my answers and all my prayers answers. There's other things happening in your life. You cannot see them. So don't stop praying. Even if if you're on your second week or second year, you pray. You do not know what's happening in the spirit world. You keep striving. And if, and if I can change that word prayer, you keep coming, even though you know it's not always, it's not always easy. That's okay. Get your stuff together. Get your clothes laid out on Saturday night. Come here, mom and dad. Here, here, pastor. You're not the first one to have babies in your home. Don't thwart their opportunity to be raised in the church and come to the house of God because you're too busy. You're not too busy. You just have to rearrange your priority. Stop that mess. Stop all that stuff. I want to know where you're at. Are, are you at a ball game today? Are you are are you doing the are you doing the ball game circuit? You should be in the house of God. Come on now, we're striving. Come. I want someone who will strive with me. We're running. I need someone to run. And you can say, Pastor, I don't run very fast. That's okay. Just move. Just just come on. Just move. Just I, I don't know if I have a lot of strength. You don't have to have a lot of strength. You just have to have Jesus. He'll be your strength. It takes a commitment. And God's looking for that from the people, from his own people, from the congregation of people. Amen. Come on now. All the strivers and runners and all the people that are going to war after... Just make your way to the front now. I need you, Lord. I'm striving. I'm hungry for you. I'm hungry for you. I'm hungry for you. I'm thirsty for you. That's right. That's right. Come on. We're lifting up our hands right now. And out of your mouth, just begin to talk to the Lord and say, Lord, I need you. You can even confess that, Lord, I'm not where I thought I would be. I thought by now I'd I'd have a few things, but I'm trusting in you, Lord. You're you keep leading me. You keep bringing me where I need to go.